The American Council of the Blind presents ACB Reports, a monthly news magazine featuring topics of interest to people who are blind or have low vision. I'm Mike Duke. This month, a look at working from home, before the coronavirus, and because of it. Welcome to ACB Reports for July 2020. In mid-March, employees of the American Council of the Blind, along with many other workers throughout the country, began working from home due to the coronavirus outbreak. While this was a new experience for the majority of those workers, many people were working from home by choice long before the COVID-19 shutdown. For over 30 years, Sean Barrett was an assistant U.S. attorney for the Southern District of Mississippi, where she had an active practice, which included enforcing the Americans with Disabilities Act on behalf of the Department of Justice. In January 2018, she began working in the private sector as a senior associate of the ADA Group, a law firm that represents clients who have access issues with businesses and other entities under the Americans with Disabilities Act. The firm is based in Montgomery, Alabama. Sean lives over 200 miles away in Jackson, Mississippi. So she has been working from home since joining the firm in 2018. What caused you to consider working from home as an option? Well, I was not looking for a job, but I have an architect friend who also is an acquaintance of the people in the law firm where I now work, and he said to me, why don't you think about doing something different? And told me about the law firm, and I said, okay, talk to them, and if they're interested, ask them to call me, and they did. And since they're based in Montgomery, and I live in Jackson, that was just a given, I guess, because they have other associates who also work remotely. So I knew that if I took the job, I would be working remotely and was not going to move to Montgomery. So the others, are they working from home, or do they work out of an office? Most of them work in the office, but there are a couple who work from home. Were you planning already to retire before this opportunity sort of fell into your lap? I really had no plans to retire. I wanted to, but I didn't know what I would do, and I didn't want to just sit at home. So, no, I really didn't. Did you have to repurpose a room into a, an official office? No, I had a room that I called the computer room, and it basically had the computer and some bookshelves and that kind of thing in there. And I did do some rearranging of that room and set up the office computer in there and braille printer. And so I really, I did fix up an office and work there some of the time. I can also work other places in the house. What was the biggest adjustment you had to make when you moved from the traditional working away from home every day to working at home every day? Well, the routine certainly changed. I would ride paratransit to work and back every day, and so I didn't have to wonder if my bus was going to come every day or if it was going to get me there late or early. Um, I miss the people, the sense of community that I felt in a large office. 
probably 60 or 70 people in the office. When you're in a work environment like that, you kind of focus on it more because everybody's doing the same kind of work that you are. But um, it didn't take me long to get over some of that other than missing the people. And we've sort of touched on this already. What technology do you use for your work? I use JAWS and also have a um, Q-Braille from HIMSS and a scanner, kind of the usual technology that you really can't really work without these days. How much do you have to use a scanner now? Not as much as I used to because most files now are electronic. All the court documents that are filed are electronic. Those are filed as PDFs. So not as much, but I always like to have it available in case I need to scan a paper document. Have you encountered any problems accessing a job-related website or software? Not any more than usual. There were programs in my job in the U.S. Attorney's Office that I really could not access. There was a database program that I couldn't access, and I had a full-time assistant. Here they have a database for keeping time records, and that's kind of difficult to access. It's much easier to type it and give it to a support person to input into the database rather than me struggling with trying to get it put in the right places and see if JAWS will read the correct labeling on the fields and those kinds of things. So there are just some things that are easier just given to somebody else. How does your current technical and clerical support differ from what you had in the federal government? I had a full-time assistant, and then I had paralegals and legal assistants that worked in my division. So I had a a lot of people around me. Um, Here, though, I have a part-time assistant. There are support people in Montgomery who are always very helpful. They have a contract with an IT company, and they can remote into my computer if I have any issues being able to access something. Really, I think my computer skills have gotten better because when I would maybe turn to someone and ask a question that would be faster for them to look it up, now I have to look at some of it up myself, and that's that's kind of good. But there's not a lot of difference. This law firm has done a great job in providing whatever accommodations that I need, and they're very easy to work with and discuss those things with. And because it is a small firm other than the big government, it's, it's really easy to communicate those things and to get a decision right away. Sometimes when you're working on a court case, you encounter pictures that you have to have described to you. How do you handle that? Usually, I work with the managing partner. He and I and my legal assistant will sit down and go over the pictures, and I'll make notes. When you do enforce the architectural provisions of the ADA, there are a lot of pictures because it's things like how wide is the door, how steep is the ramp, whether the restroom is large enough, and how high is the counter. You have to measure all that stuff and then take pictures of the measurements, and that's what our investigators go out and do when we receive a complaint. So I have great help with that. All the support people in the office are very knowledgeable about the standards, so they can look at a picture and describe it to me and, 
you know, help me get a really good picture of how it's laid out, then we can all look at it and decide together what's a violation and what isn't. Does it ever require a site visit on your part? Yes, occasionally. I did a lot of site visits in the U.S. Attorney's Office. Some of those I did with an architect from DOJ, and some of those I did with my legal assistant locally. It's pretty easy. If I walk around a place and kind of get an idea about the layout, then I can tell somebody what to measure because I, I know what we're looking for in terms of what the standards require. Who goes with you on those visits now? My legal assistant or someone else from the firm. Are you required to punch a virtual time clock, as it were, or communicate by a certain time every day with a supervisor in Montgomery to say, hey, I'm in the office and on duty or whatever? No, but if I am going to be away, like for a doctor's appointment or my elderly mother lives with me and sometimes I go to the doctor with her, or if I have some kind of volunteer commitment, I usually tell them when I'm going to be away. But I'm usually engaging with somebody over there several times a day. They don't make any professionals or anybody, I guess, punch a time clock. You just work till you get the job done. And whether or not you get the job done sort of speaks for itself. It does. And you mentioned your mother, you suddenly being in the house all the time and working from home. What did that do to her routine? Sometimes she comments that she saw me more when I was working outside of the house, but I pretty much have adapted to her routine. I think she's glad I'm here, and I have a caregiver with her in the daytime, so that really works out well. Describe what happens in your average workday. I try to be up and going around 8, working around 8. If I need to, I can work later. Um, when I was with the U.S. Attorney's Office, Jaws could not access their remote software. They had a remote program that mirrored your uh, work desktop image. So I was not able to bring work home. So I can work now whenever I need to. You know, I'm basically doing the same thing. I'm answering emails, answering the phone. The phone doesn't ring as much. And most of my meetings are by phone rather than in person. I have deadlines when things are due in court, a brief or a motion, and I work on that, just kind of like I did when I was in the U.S. Attorney's Office. And we have paralegal support if I need that to assist with those documents. Has working from home ever caused you to feel that you're on duty 24-7? Not really. Um, I'm kind of project-driven, so if I'm working on something... You know, I can work an extra half hour or hour on to get something finished. I like that rather than just leaving when the bus comes or when the office closes. So not really. It's a flexible environment. Has the COVID-19 shutdown changed your job in any way? Our office was closed for oh, several weeks. And so everybody was working from home and all the support people were and Sometimes their computers were slow or occasionally they could not access certain aspects of the work environment from home. We represent clients under the Americans with Disabilities Act who have claims against businesses that are not accessible. And of course, our clients 
are not getting out as much as they were and going to restaurants and hotels and other places like that. So the business has slowed down some. But now the office is reopened and things seem to be getting back to normal. What advice would you give to someone who is considering working from home? Discipline is an important part of it. Try to create an environment where there are few distractions, or as few as possible. I think for a person who uses adaptive technology, try to get into a situation where you can get remote help or in-person help. I mean, sometimes technology glitches that I think are going to always happen. And with remote access, that's a lot easier for somebody to troubleshoot your computer. Also, you know, if you need special resources, like I have the ADA regulations in Braille and the ADA itself and some other publications that the Department of Justice has done, you know, you just have to make sure that you have space for those and have those readily available when you need them, either in Braille or, or electronically. The ADA turns 30 this month? That's right, July 26th. Are you going to the party? Um, Will there be a party? I'm not sure, no, not to the extent. I went to the 10th and the 20th. Those were just awesome experiences. 10th anniversary, I got to go here. Bill Clinton introduced Justin Dart at the Roosevelt Memorial. But I don't think we're going to see that kind of party anymore this July 26th. Now for the big one. Everybody's on the edge of their seats just dying to know. Do you work in your pajamas? Well, I think by now, with so many people working from home, uh, most people may know the answer to this question is sometimes. That's kind of the beauty part of it. You can jump up and walk over there to the computer and see what's happening. And I know one thing that's changed is my wardrobe has changed drastically, where I have to dress up in you know, business clothes and lawyer suits and that sort of thing. Now I don't have to do that as long as I'm working in the house. That was Sean Barrett, Senior Associate of the ADA Group, speaking about working from home by choice. You're listening to ACB Reports. Eric Bridges is the Executive Director of the American Council of the Blind. Like many other Americans, he began working from home for the first time in March due to the COVID-19 shutdown. He also says good technology is essential when working from home. First things first, I'm really happy to report that the technology that ACB has acquired over the last three or four years has allowed us as a team, both in Minneapolis and some of our remote contractors as well as our national office to work very productively remotely, utilizing Office 365 with our laptops, utilizing Zoom, as well as Ring Central, which is our VOIP phone system that allows us through the Ring Central app on our cell phones to be able to answer calls through our desk lines. All of that has worked very well. I was wondering how all of this was going to go over an extended period. But really, on that Sunday, March 15th, I made the decision that we really needed to begin to work remotely for some different reasons, Um, one of which was that the public transit system here in the D.C. area was going to be significantly reduced starting the following day, that Monday the 16th. And 
having blind employees as well as employees that don't drive, you know, that was going to be a significant barrier for folks to come in, and it just seemed to be the right time to make the decision to begin to work remotely. So March 16th happened to coincide with the day that my wife came back from maternity leave. My wife, Rebecca, works for an IT consulting firm, and she works from her home office. And so uh, happy back-to-work day, honey. All of us were at home. (laughs) (laughs) All of of us were working from her office. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And so, uh, you know, I've got a five-year-old son, Tyler, who was in kindergarten. Uh, I've got a six-month-old son, Noah, who is going to allegedly be going to daycare starting at the end of March. And then we've got two guide dogs. So it became the Bridges Family Circus in the house for the next three months or so. And, you know, she has her own home office, nice desk, nice chair. I set up shop at our pub table, which is next to our bar in our downstairs. It's a table with two high chairs that are perfectly good to have a couple drinks at, but not necessarily ideal to work at for eight hours a day. The other part of it, too, was that uh, you have a five-year-old and a six-month-old, so how much time do you actually have to sit behind a laptop? And so my iPhone and my AirPods, along with you know the iOS apps for Zoom and my email, as well as RingCentral and a couple of other apps, became vital for me as I was moving around, changing diapers, taking Tyler out to throw him the football, Uh, Tyler learned how to ride a two-wheel bike during the pandemic. He also lost his first two teeth. Not because of the bicycle. No, thankfully. No significant wipeouts, uh, (laughs) scrapes, but you don't have a scrape or two. You're not doing it right. But no, no significant wipeouts. So it's been, at times, loud. Uh, It's been, I think, for millions of working parents that have kids at home, it's been frustrating at times. Um, but it's also provided a lot of really cool daily interaction with your kids that you wouldn't normally have during other times. So you take the good with the not-so-good, and you kind of move through and cherish the fun moments. Life isn't perfect, but certainly better with my family. When did the ACB office reopen? Once we got into Phase 1 reopening here in Northern Virginia, maybe about three weeks ago, I started talking to folks about when do you guys think we should go back. A couple weeks ago, we had a a colleague elect to come back and work every day. My colleague Kelly had been coming in once a week through this just to pick up mail. But, you know, we had a colleague start coming in every day. And then really, it's been this week where the majority of us have elected to come in. I've worked it out individually with each person in terms of the situations that they have because the public transit system is still maybe only at a third of its capacity in terms of uh, you know operation and uh, we've got a couple folks that live really far away and they also are blind so they've tested out the routes with the new bus times and train times and all that and uh, it's been fairly lengthy for them either to come in or to go home at night the last couple days, and so I think some of these folks are going to hold off until after the convention and after our public transit system begins to open up more metro stations and stuff, which is slated to happen, I think, uh, first part of July. So 
the one thing I will reiterate is that I'm very proud of my team and their ability to be as productive as they have been working from home. And it means more to me that they are productive wherever they are than having to waste three hours of their day just simply trying to get into the office. Do I want everybody to come back here and work permanently? Of course I do. But there's the cost-benefit analysis. And to the degree that things continue to reopen, uh, the public transit system gets closer to normal, that would be great. But I um, you know, want to be flexible with folks and understanding of the time because ultimately we have a lot of work to do. And at the end of the day, it's more important that we're getting it done than physically having to sit two doors down from me, if that makes sense. It does make sense, and I will say that anytime I emailed or phoned the office during the time when everyone was working from home, I always got the person I needed, and uh, that speaks volumes. You didn't have to wait three or four days and wonder when you were going to hear from somebody. I would hear from people immediately, especially via email, phone calls. Sometimes I'd get voicemail, and they'd have to call me back. And the same in the Minneapolis office. They were right there taking care of stuff. And of course, we're all watching the numbers with the very strong possibility that there will be a second wave. We may be doing this again. You never know. Thankfully, our spike in the Northern Virginia, the D.C. region, occurred mid to late April through most of May, and it has decreased significantly since. So we're very happy for that, but always mindful that there could be another outbreak. And with regard to me... After the convention, I'm likely going to be one of those people, Mike, that is in the office for parts of certain days because we're still summertime. All the summertime activities for kids have been canceled. My wife and kids are in Indiana at my in-laws for the next couple weeks getting help from Grandma and Grandpa to kind of help look after the kids while I prepare for the convention with my team and others. So after that's done may well be that I'm not in the office every day, all day. I'm okay with that. You're listening to ACB Reports from the American Council of the Blind. I'm Mike Duke, speaking with ACB Executive Director Eric Bridges. Although the organization's virtual conference and convention will be concluded before most people hear this program, I ask Eric how creating and managing the virtual convention will be different for the ACB staff. Well, there's not going to be as much walking. I can assure you of that. <laughs> uh, folks folks like Sharon Levering and Kelly Gask get their miles in every day at an in-person convention. Responsibilities have sort of shifted and flexed. In the national office, there'll be uh, one of the two sort of command and control centers that will be manned by Tony Stevens, for those that may recognize that name. He... Uh, was our director of advocacy and governmental affairs for about two and a half years and then left for a year to lead a nonprofit in Baltimore. And then uh, I hired him in March to come back and be our director of development. What some folks don't know about Tony is that he's got a broadcast background, managed a radio station and a bunch of different things, and, and knows a lot about technology. So our director of development is going to serve as one of the managers for the logistics of the convention. We're going to be using the Zoom webinar platform to do this virtually. 
He'll be in our conference room uh, with a switcher, as well as Rick Morin, who's an awesome member of ours, member of the Bay State Council of the Blind, and uh, works a ton uh, with ACB Radio. He'll be in his home with another switcher and two or three computers, and uh, managing getting the Zoom rooms ready and putting folks on. Uh, there'll be video as well as audio. Kelly Gask will be assisting Tony here in the office. Joel and Bailey Page, who's our grant writer, is going to be assisting getting the panelists to go on, helping them figure out their camera situation and all of that. Sharon, who has always produced the daily newspaper, she'll be putting out what we're calling the digital daily, which will be the emails for folks that register with all of the Zoom information. And then, obviously, Clark and Claire, they'll be presenting several different times. I'll be helping out wherever I'm needed, also presenting two or three different times throughout the course of the week. So there'll be long days because we've got primetime programming at night, something that we don't have during an in-person convention. The good news is that we're starting a little later, around 10 a.m. for a general session each day. It looks like a really good convention and conference. The key will be keeping it moving and keeping everybody connected when they need to be connected. I wish all the tech people the best because they will be on duty anytime there's something going on. It's been a Herculean effort, and the folks at ACB Radio, you know, our managing director, Debbie Hazelton, and the technical director, Jason Castingway, um, along with Rick, as I said, Deb Cook-Lewis, who's the board publications chair, She's really become the ultimate Zoom facilitator and getting all this stuff arranged. Had you used yep. Zoom very much before the shutdown? For about the last year or two, we've been utilizing Zoom here in the office for maybe a couple meetings a week, but that obviously has changed significantly over the last few months where there were days when I would have five or six meetings and nearly all of them would be on Zoom either ACB-generated or even outside. The term, go Google it, you know, let's Zoom this, you know, like it's become a part of the vernacular now. We use it just because, gosh darn it, it works. The various community calls that uh, City Van Winkle worked with and people got going dealing with all kinds of things while we were shut down, Zoom just seems to make that so much easier. It does. Zoom seems to have a pretty good understanding of who they are and what they do. They're not trying to be everything to everyone like some other platforms. It's pretty intuitive, and frankly, it's very accessible. It includes using it on your Mac, your PC, or the Zoom app for iOS, which I have relied heavily on. It's been great. So anything else before we close? I just hope everybody's staying healthy, staying safe. And, again, I'm really proud of the work that this organization is doing and how we've been able to adapt to the really challenging situation that took place three months ago and is still ongoing. I feel like we're in a position where we are engaging more of our members as well as the broader community at a level that we haven't in quite some time. And it's my expectation that that's going to remain even after we're able to get back to whatever normal is going to be. This has been a, a huge opportunity for us. We've turned lemons into lemonade and uh, looking forward to the future.
That was Eric Bridges, director of the American Council of the Blind. As summer heats up and the coronavirus apparently refuses to cool down, I'm Mike Duke, reminding you to observe social distancing and practice the personal hygiene you learned in kindergarten. You've been listening to ACB Reports, heard on radio information services nationwide and throughout the world on acbradio.org. ACB Reports is produced at Radio Reading Service of Mississippi, a service of Mississippi Public Broadcasting. Contact the American Council of the Blind online at acb.org or phone 800-424-8666. Thanks for listening, and please join us again next month for another ACB Reports. ¶¶